Ready or not, here I come. Hi, welcome to Care to Listen. Care to Listen is a series of podcasts made by care experienced children and young people in the UK. We are travelling across the UK talking to care leavers, experts and activists in the field of childcare who are fighting for better services, rights, equality and understanding. Okay, where are we today? We are at Ashton University in Birmingham talking to Carol Phillips, an AIM High Ambassador and a Black Care Experience activist and mother. Hi Carol, lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you too. First of all, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? So I'm currently employed at a university and I work on a government funded project that looks at widening participation and engagement for young people across the West Midlands and creating greater awareness about the benefits of higher education. And do you enjoy this? I absolutely love my job because I get to work in education. So I get to promote why higher education is important and the benefits of it for young people like yourself. And um, I also enjoy it because I get to meet young people with care experience. So I'm currently working in a college, so I'm in a further education setting, and I get to meet care experienced young people who are in education and who might want to go to higher education. So, yeah, it's brilliant. Thank you. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about life before care? Um, Life before care? For me, care started very early. Um, so I had had 15 different foster placements by the time I was five so I don't really know too much about what life was necessarily like before care I only really know care Um, I then was on a full care order by the time I was seven and spent the rest of my time in the care system in Birmingham what was life like in care it was difficult It was very challenging and it was difficult for loads and loads of different reasons. So I could tell you all the negative, terrible things about all the people I came into contact with that I felt weren't very great, but ultimately they weren't great because I just wanted to go home. I wanted to be at home with the family and I wanted my family to be okay and that was my only goal whilst being in care. But I had some positives in care. I met some amazing foster carers, some good social workers and some good people along the way. Okay, so for me, a real positive was, so I'd had, as I said, loads of different placements, different types of foster carers who all looked different, talked different, acted different, and did fostering very different. Some foster carers felt they were parents. Some foster carers didn't do very much. Some foster carers promoted education, some didn't. So I had loads of different experiences. When I was 13, 12 or 13, I was fostered by a couple who completely changed what fostering and parenting meant for me. And they were so positive. I didn't realise it at the time. I was still, you know, very much not wanting to be there and didn't want to listen to them. But every morning I'd get up and they'd say to me, Corral, you know, you're amazing. You're going to do amazing things. You're going to achieve great stuff. And I used to roll my eyes and say, gosh, they're paying you by the minute now. You know, because I thought all foster carers did fostering for money. Until these guys showed me that actually... 
they didn't. They did fostering because they genuinely did believe in me and they did want to see me do well. And so that for me was a huge positive to see that. And it made me feel better and it grew my self-esteem. Thank you for sharing that with us. What do you think were the biggest challenges for you living in care? I think my biggest challenges were education. Um, and and settling down, I think. I think making relationships with carers was my biggest challenge. And the reason I think, yeah, actually, I think the biggest challenge was settling down with carers was purely because nobody along the way, no social worker, no adults had told me that a care order meant I was now in care until I was 18 and that there was no possibility of me returning home. And because prior to the care order, when I was five and six and I had all those 15 different foster placements, every time... I went into care, I always went back home 15 different times. And so I believed I was always going to go home every time I went into care. But nobody had told me when I was seven that a care order meant you were staying in care now and you wouldn't be going home. So I kept breaking down placements and breaking them down. And um, a social worker said to me once, Corral, you know if you keep breaking down these placements, there'll be nowhere else for you to go. I didn't take that as a bad thing. I thought, well, that's amazing then, because if I keep doing this, the only place I can go is home. So I continued on that path of breaking down placements, and nobody along the journey for 10 years told me that a full care order meant you're here, and these are the reasons why you're here, but it's okay, and explained it to me in a way I never knew. And so until I got to about 12, my only goal was to leave care then then I heard you could leave care. So then that was my only goal again. I'm going to get my own place and I'm going to leave care and this will all be over with. So, yeah, that was, I think, one of the biggest challenges. So do you feel like social workers weren't doing their job properly? I think... <clears throat> I don't think it's a case of nobody was doing their job properly. I think adults, a lot of the time, are scared to speak to young people, especially when we're thinking about you're not going home. Nobody wants to have that conversation. And I also think because I'd been in care for so long and had so many experiences, everybody kept assuming somebody else had told me. And I think sometimes when you're a young person in care and you behave in a certain way and present yourself in a certain way, people kind of get fed up of you, which is natural, and I get that. But people just assume you're just like this now because you're you're naughty or there's you've got an attachment problem or, you know, there's all these things and nobody ever stops to think, hold on, did anybody tell her why she was here in the first place? Can you tell us a bit about your experience in education, how you got there? Oh, education was probably the worst time for me being in care for loads of different reasons. I could pretty much manage being in care and being looked after um, any time of the day or week, just not during Monday to Friday during school time. I hated it for different reasons. One, because when I was younger in primary school, I hated being collected by different people. Absolutely hated that. I hated that the same person never picked me up from school. The same person didn't take me to school and children and people in my class would always ask who's this who's that and it was always somebody different and so I learned to start to come up with cover stories about who people were so it was my auntie one week it was my uncle it's my mum's best friend's cousin and it became tiring because I couldn't keep coming up with these lists of excuses of to who these different people were and um so that became a struggle so I hated that then when I went to secondary school it became even more difficult because i 
didn't have the time to think about GCSEs or maths and English and history lessons because I was thinking about being a social worker. And I wasn't necessarily thinking about being a social worker, I was thinking about how do I get my social worker to sort out contact this weekend? How do I make sure the payments are sorted out and the forms are signed so I can sleep over at somebody's house this weekend? And that was difficult because whilst I was in school, nine till three, that was the time my social worker worked. And when I got home, my social worker wasn't working and nobody in school would let me use the phone. Nobody offered to make calls for me. And so I found that really difficult. So <clears throat> I very quickly realized by the time I was about 12 or 13 that I couldn't do school and be in care at the same time. I had to be in care. And so I stopped going to school. I wasn't interested, I would have, let's say, a really bad weekend with contact, my mum didn't turn up, my sister was upset, so I had to comfort her, then we'd run away, and then we'd come back late Sunday night, and then I'd turn up to school on Monday morning, and the first thing the teacher would say is, why are you late? And in that moment, I didn't know what to say, because I didn't know how to express myself, so I just swore, slammed the door, and stormed out. And the school thought I was just misbehaved, and I didn't know what was going on and ultimately all it was is that there was no space for school and social work. Nobody was helping me manage to learn and sorting out social work for me at the same time because for me social work was a lot more important because if my social work didn't sign that paper, I knew I couldn't go home for Christmas. And so that was my only focus, not maths and English and history. So um, yeah, it was difficult being in school when I was younger. Sorry to hear that. Um... Did you pass your exams in A-levels at the same time as your peers? And if not, how comes? What were the issues? No, so I didn't finish school. I was permanently excluded from school by the time, I think I was about 12 or 13. And it had all gotten way too much for me. Social work, placements, changes... I'd been separated from my sister, so we'd been in care all the time together, and then at about 11 or 12, we'd been sent to separate placements. So I was going through so much, and that school for me just wasn't a big part of my life. I didn't recognise it as being important, although grown-ups would say to me, you know, you've got to get your GCSEs, and it's going to make a difference in your life. It didn't seem as important as... If the IRO, so an independent reviewing officer at one of my meetings, made a decision, that for me was a lot more important than sitting in an exam. So, yeah, I was excluded from school. I did a little bit of home education with my carers, but ultimately that was it then. By the time I was out of education, I had no, I say no interest, I wanted to learn, I was very smart, but I had no support to learn and nobody was helping me to learn whilst being in care and so I gave up on education and just focused on my life right now in care. Um, I did then go back to education so when I left care I wanted to do education so I then went and did adult learning courses so I did access courses and short courses and maths and English GCSE courses and so forth when I was older but I was only able to do that then because I'd left care and I didn't have to think about making calls to social workers I didn't have to think about placement disruption moves and all these kinds of things so once I had that space to do that I focused on education then. There are very poor statistics about care experienced young people going to university. Can you talk to us about why that is? 
again, I think it's because of some of the experiences I've shared with you around my time in care. I think that's the same for a lot of looked after children that on top of dealing with being separated from parents, from your siblings, from friends, from neighbours. I think sometimes we forget how much looked after children have lost when they come into care. We automatically just talk about their attachment to their mum or their dad or their sister. But I lost the neighbourhood. I lost my local shop. I lost um, the bus driver who I used to get on the bus with every day and go to school with my mom. I lost, you know, the smell of the local high street. I lost everything. And so then when I came into care, I didn't just lose my mom. I lost my identity and where I grew up and the people and the friends that I had there. So I think sometimes for looked after children, going to higher education is not a goal for them because it hasn't been promoted. You know, when we think about why does anybody want to go to university? It's normally because maybe they know somebody who's been, maybe they've got a family member or a friend who's been and they talk positively about it. Maybe they've been on a school trip with the companies that I work with that take young people out to university visits. They've seen something that's made them want to go. The only, I didn't know when I was in care, anybody who had gone to university. And it wasn't just my family, my foster carers, their education wasn't necessarily higher education level. The social workers I was around at the time, they hadn't done necessarily um, a degree in social work then. I think it was a dip swear. And so they too didn't promote education in that sense. I didn't know anybody who went to higher education and did a science degree. I didn't know engineering existed. Nobody had told me all these different amazing things. And so I think until we tell young people, especially looked after young people, all these amazing courses and opportunities that are available to them, I don't think necessarily they're going to want to go to university. But it doesn't help then if you don't pass your GCSEs, because a lot of looked after children, like me, don't. They're either excluded from school or they struggle during GCSE revision time. And so then when it comes to A-levels or applying for BTECs, they don't get the grades to get onto the level three as their peers do and then go to university the following year or the year after that. They instead have to stay on a level one, then a level two and work their way up. So by the time they go to university like me, they're 21. So now they're adults instead of 18. So I think, you know, we need to do something around how do we support looked after children care leavers at that stage where they haven't got the grades so they can go on to level three programs and so they can go to university a lot sooner if they want to. What are the biggest challenges care experienced young people face whilst in higher education? I think that's a huge one around understanding what's available to them. I think care leavers, first and foremost, who do want to go to higher education, don't know what's out there for them. So when we're thinking about accommodation and where do they live, so a lot of care leavers, by the time they do apply for university, they may already be living independently. And so... Um, can't then live on campus because they already, let's say, have their own property. Other young people might still be with foster carers and considering going to university and so can stay with them or live on campus. But it's around knowing rights and entitlements if you do go to higher education. Um, some universities offer 365 day a year free accommodation to care leavers. 
Some universities offer bursaries. They offer to be a guarantor if you go into house share in the private sector, in a private property with other students. And I think all these things are not promoted enough for care leavers at university. Um, and I think we need to tell young people a lot earlier then at the point where they're applying a lot sooner, so year nine, 10 and 11, they need to know from then, if you're ever considering going to university, these are the things you can get. One of the biggest things around um, why young people who have left care and go to university don't know their entitlements is because they don't declare that they're care experienced. So when you're applying for university, you apply through what's called UCAS, and they ask you to tick if you've ever been in care. And a lot of young people like me, don't tick the box because we don't know what we're ticking for we have spent a long time like i did in care trying to avoid care and leave care and get as far away from care as possible that when we see that question as an adult 21 let's say we avoid ticking it because we don't want any relation to be in care experience we don't know if it's going to affect us or go against us and i think a lot of care leavers don't realize that actually it's so important to tick that box because then your university, wherever you choose to study, has to put in a load of support for you. So it's financial support and emotional well-being support and accommodation support. And you have so much more entitlements if you tick that box. But if you don't tick the box and you don't declare, a lot of care leavers who are at university struggle because they don't know the support they can get. Um, was there anyone in your life who stood out and supported you? Absolutely. The foster carers who fostered me at 13, 12 or 13 I was, completely turned my life around. They made all the difference for me. They were absolutely amazing. And at the time, I didn't think so. At the time, I thought they were just two other foster carers like the rest of them who were just getting paid to do this and didn't care about me and had no invested interest in who I am and who I was going to be. They were just getting paid for this and actually they completely stood out for me they made a huge difference and what they did was very different to most other carers is they not only told me how amazing i was they made me believe how amazing i was which was huge because all this time without realizing it whilst i'm fighting all these foster carers and i just want to leave this system and i don't like social workers and i just want to go home I hadn't realised that all this rejection and these breakdown of placements and changes of social workers had a toll on my self-esteem, that actually made me feel less than worthy. But in the heat of all my anger and emotion, I just don't want to be here. I wasn't aware that was happening. And so by the time these carers had fostered me, at a very late age as well, at 13, because I'd already been told I was unfosterable. So by the time they did, I was just, you know, giving up on care completely. I was just counting down the days until I could leave care. But they helped me think about the kind of person I am, the kind of person I was. So, for instance, before um, I had gone to live with them, I had been running away, I was out late, police were called, all these different things that foster carers do, okay? And um, on my records, it seemed like I was a very, very bad kid. Okay, these foster carers instead do something different. So instead of just saying, why are you late? You're, you know, an hour late, you're supposed to be back at 10 o'clock, instead you're back at 11. Instead, what they would do is, we noticed that every day you take your sister back home to her placement before you come here. And so, do you know how much of a great sister that makes you? And that was it, and I was thinking, hmm, 
weren't they telling me off for being late? But instead what they were doing was noticing all the good things I was doing rather than focusing on all the negatives that made me a better person. So it made me think, well, I am a good sister. That's why I'm late because I walk her home first and then I come back myself. And, you know, she's back on time and I'm late. And so they noticed all the good things about me that a lot of people hadn't spoke about before. And so it made me feel better. And so, yeah, they were amazing. Did being a caretaker wear your identity? Yes. Um, As I said earlier about when I came into care, I not only lost my mum and my family and so forth, I'd also lost the area I'd grown up in, I'd lost the local shopkeepers, the bus drivers and all of that stuff. But um, it also took away from my history so having a direct access to who I am where I come from where my family come from and that wasn't maintained so nobody kept up with that nobody then could tell me who my grandparents were where they lived I'm only now finding out bits more about my family history and my identity as an adult nobody had recorded that or bothered to find out so it absolutely did take away do you want to tell us about your experiences in residential? Um, <laughs> residential care. Although at the time, I, I get it, I know why Social Workers Tribe were possible to advocate for foster families as opposed to residential care. But residential care for me as a looked after child was so much easier than being in a foster family. Yes, being in a foster family seemed great, um, because then you've got a family setting and all these great things that come. But the other side of that is when you're young and you've had multiple foster families and you've, I say you've tried, whether you've tried or not, the adults around you have either given up or the placements broke down or it wasn't a planned placement or whatever might happen. In a residential setting, you don't have that pressure of having to fit in with the family. Staff change every day. Okay, Um, the young people who are there sometimes come and go and they change. And so you no longer have to do this whole mom, dad or single mom ideal of what a family should look like. You're now just a group of young people who, regardless of your ages and your backgrounds and whether or not you normally get on day to day in the home, you all believe in one thing. And that one thing is we don't like them (laughs) and them being social workers and them being people who work in the care system and that in itself feels a little bit freer because when you're in foster care it very much feels like foster carers social workers fostering social workers IROs all these people who tell you they're all here for you it feels like it's them against you and you can feel very alone and feel as though you can't win this war against them but then once you're in a a residential setting there's so many more of you (laughs) and it's a lot you feel a bit more powerful in that situation in any given moment so yeah I enjoyed residential at certain times but at the same time I preferred fostering long term it is annoying though isn't it like social workers saying that well they understand what you're going through and teachers saying they understand what they're going through but they don't this is it and I think who knows you know nobody knows all the time that I've been in care you may not have known and I could have been working with you and I could have said I understand what you're going through and you feel like no she doesn't but actually I do but the difference is sometimes it's nice to let people know 
you know even if I don't know exactly what you're going through if I haven't experienced it I can only imagine how that feels and I'm here for you if you want to talk and that's what makes it genuine and authentic as opposed to when they just say I know what you're going through but mm. this is my job and this is what I've got to do it all sounds very much Fake. yeah that one minute you're with me and the next minute we're back to but let's not forget this is my job and you're just my job um do you think that being black made it even more difficult I think the fact that my mom's black Caribbean and my dad was white Scottish Irish um I think that made it more difficult I think because I'd grown up in a household with my black Caribbean mom and then went into the care system at the time when I went into the care system was just white British middle-aged women who were fostering it made it extremely difficult and not for the same reasons that people might be thinking because my mom um although was black British black Caribbean she had you know, a variety of diverse group of friends as my dad was white and all this kind of stuff. So I didn't have any issue being fostered by white British women. The problems that I noticed as I grew up was that social workers made matching an issue because of these carers. So for instance, I had had amazing foster placement and me and my sister were settling down really well, but the social worker at the time decided to end that foster placement because it wasn't an ethnic match. And so we left that placement and placements continued, had really bad placements up and down, broken down and all of this just because somebody felt that it needed to be an ethnic match over the fact that it was a, a social match and it was a natural match and we got on and we liked her and she liked us and all this kind of stuff. Um, the other side of that is the fact that because I'm mixed race, dual heritage, that they had completely forgotten to think about the fact that I came from a family of two backgrounds, <laughs> of two ethnic ethnicities, and but yet only one mattered, and that one was my mum's ethnicity as opposed to anything else. And um, again, there were no black carers that I remember being with within the care system at the time I was in care. So, and I think the reason why my final placement worked even more because somebody finally asked me, what did I want in a carer? And I said, just trying to wind up the social worker, I want a black foster mum and a white foster dad who looked just like my mum and dad, because as far as I was concerned, that did not exist. I'd never seen it before. And you know what they found? A black foster mum and a white foster dad. And that became the placement that was the most successful placement I ever had. And so it absolutely does matter, identity and relatability, because all the things I spoke to you about before, about some of the challenges of young people asking, who's that, who's it? As soon as I was with them, nobody ever questioned anything all of a sudden. I didn't care so I could relax a little bit more. What would you say to your younger self? <sighs> Probably don't jump out of that window. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about when we were jumping out of children's home windows. Um, but no, um, what would I say to my younger self? But I think I'd say to my younger self that, I don't know, that even when you leave care, it doesn't all just fix this. <laughs> I think that's what I'd say to my younger self, that, you know, you're fighting for things that even then, so my journey at the time was just to leave care or go home and then I just wanted to be a care leaver and all these things that actually, just to embrace that that was my journey at the time. 
and that some people are good and some people aren't some people are amazing at their job and some people aren't and you know it it's okay can you tell us about your life now yeah um i suppose it's gone full circle i went from being in care and hating being in care to couldn't wait to leave care and wanted absolutely nothing to do with care ever again or to ever see a social worker ever again and went and became a social worker and went into teaching and then teaching and training social work students and then um, working with some amazing organizations that support care experience and voices and the rights of children and young people in care and promoting children's rights and providing platforms for care leavers to being in education working directly with looked after children and care leavers in education and so now can't imagine doing anything other than care <laughs> so it's yeah it's awesome if you had a magic wand that could change things for care experience young people what could that be Hmm. I don't know because I think when I was in care I absolutely felt as though I was trapped in this dark tunnel and I couldn't see the light at the end but now I've left care and I've met and I've reflected on some of the positive people I have met and I've got good relationships with my care experience has become the reason why I went into social work why I went into education so I think the only thing I would change for care experience young people would be that they each meet at least five positive people in their life at different stages so even when things are really difficult that every care experience young person has a positive interaction with a teacher with a social worker with a manager with an IRO with a foster carer that they all at some point in their journeys all have the experience of meeting five positive people within social work because I feel just having those people and having those interactions even within the 10 million other people who for them haven't been great just those five people in those different roles will make a huge difference on how they view themselves their lives and then where they want to go when they leave care Thank you, Karel, for taking the time to speak to us. We wish you all the best of luck from Five from Friends. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Five Rivers Care Telesim podcast. This podcast has been produced by the members of the Democratic Group, representing the views of people from Five Rivers Child Care Limited. Music by Rick Flow, track, hide and seek, courtesy of Rick Flow. Thank you.